you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, turn with me to Luke's Gospel. The Gospel according to Luke, uh, uh, chapter 22. Luke 22, we're going to begin at verse 31 this morning. Um, I started, we started out, of course, last week's Easter. We started out, or, or I actually I prefer to think of it as Resurrection Sunday. And we started out last week uh, uh, preaching about the resurrection. Uh, and then Sunday night, we preached about the Last Supper. Uh, and so we kind of went backwards there, didn't we? And this event here that I'm going to read to you about and, and uh, share a few thoughts with you this morning about is in between those two, all right? I guess you could say it's part of the Last Supper, but it's kind of in between the where we get the Last Supper and um, Jesus' betrayal and then trial and crucifixion and then, of course, resurrection. Uh, Luke chapter 22, I want to begin at verse 31, uh, read to you uh, four verses here, and then we'll go to the Lord together in prayer. Uh, Luke 22, verse 31 says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have, <clears throat> to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both in, into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day. Before that, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Let's pray. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you. We thank you for the good day and for the many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning, to worship you in spirit and truth, to lift you up here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for each one who's come our way. We thank you, Lord, for the roof you put over our head, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have. We thank you for each one who has sacrificed and fought and bled and died for that freedom. Lord, but we know that ultimately it's a gift from you, so we give you all the glory. We thank you, Lord, for uh, all of these things, but we thank you most of all for your son Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him in giving so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. And it's already been talked about this morning. We're not worthy of it. And God, you do that, but you've done it anyways. And so, Lord, let us always have praise and glory on our lips for you because you alone are worthy of it. And, Lord, I just pray as we go forward in this service here this morning, God, my heart's desire is to get out of the way and let you be God of this service, for you to have your way and your will in our midst. So, Lord, that's my prayer. Lord, you're the searcher of hearts. There's nothing that you don't know, nothing that you do not see, no surprises here for you. So, Lord, I'm just praying, God, move in our midst in a mighty way. Have your way and your will. Lift up and encourage those that stand in need of, of it. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd give a healing touch to those that stand in need of that. I pray, Lord, that you would just, uh, God, that you would just move in a mighty way. Lord, if there is any here that have backslidden, any that don't know you, any that have fallen short, any that just maybe let some sin creep into their life, God, I pray, Lord, that you'd bring it to their attention. God, I'm praying that you'd pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon them. Lord, that you wouldn't give them any peace until they repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, behold, now is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, 
not after a while, but now. So God, I'm asking, have your way and your will. And Lord, let me ask one more thing of you. Um, I need your help. I fall far short, I know that. Uh, I don't feel adequate or qualified at all. But Lord, on my own, I know I can't preach. But through you, I can do all things. This is what you've called me to do. This is the message that you've given me this morning. So I'm asking, Lord, that you would just pour, not only pour your spirit out, but God, that you would anoint me from on high. God, that you would... uh, Uh, Lord, clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say this morning. And I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, have your way. We love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. That word, convert, you'll find it in one form in our text that we read here this morning. Uh, Verse 32 says, converted, when thou art converted. Uh, That word convert is definitely, I mean, we use it in other senses, but the way we normally think about it, especially in the religious sense, it's definitely a Bible word, right? Uh, Outside of that, unless I'm looking for... Well, and I would even say an adapter. I wouldn't hardly say a converter. Unless you're looking for maybe a power converter or something like that, you don't hardly use that word, right? Uh, Because uh, it's a Bible word. And even in a biblical, in a church context, it doesn't seem like we use that word, that terminology much anymore, right? It seems like that, I don't know, we're afraid people will be offended by it. We're afraid it's too harsh, too sharp, that it might bring some sort of negative connotation with it. So we just don't seem like we use it that much, but maybe we ought to use it more than what we do. It's definitely a Bible word. It's not just a religious word. It is a Bible word. I think about a story that I heard once, the great evangelist D.L. Moody, right? He, one time he went to the prison uh, or the local jail. It wasn't really a prison. I guess it was the local jail. He went to the local jail to preach, and he was preaching where uh, they would allow him and had opportunity there in, the, in, in that little jail, or that local jail, and, and, he, and he, when he got to what um, I think we would refer to today as the drunk tank, I don't know that they called it that then, but anyways, he was preaching there and, and trying to share the gospel. That's what I mean by that. He was trying to share the gospel and the witness uh, and read the word of God to these uh, men. And anyways, when he got there to the drunk tank, one of the men who were there told Moody that there was no need for him to preach to him. He said, here's what he said. He said, there's no need for you to preach to me, Reverend Moody, for I am one of your converts. And I'll never forget, as the story goes, Moody's response. He said, indeed, you must be one of mine. For if the Lord had converted you, you wouldn't be in this mess right now. When Jesus uses the word here in Luke, or when he says, he's talking to Peter, and when he says, when thou art converted, that had to have stopped. Think about it from Peter's perspective for a minute. 
He said, I mean, Peter is doing, saying all these things. Peter is talking out of his head here, right? I mean, if you know this, this section of Scripture, this story here, and you're familiar with this, you, you realize that what Peter is saying is not the will of God at all. This doesn't come from the results of, of the Lord's teaching. This is, this is strictly from Peter's flesh, his own zeal, what it is that you know he thinks or wants. And so whenever Jesus said to him, when thou art converted. That had to have stung because Peter has already made a profession of faith. Cassie read it to you this morning. The scriptures that Cassie read to you, right, is where Peter professes, thou art the Christ, right, the son of the living God. Jesus goes on and, you know, upon this profession, upon this truth, this knowledge, I'll build my church, right, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter has already made a profession of faith, but then here Jesus is saying, when thou art converted, Peter, when you are converted, you're going to see things differently. Sadly, I'm afraid that the same state that Peter was in is the state that many today in the church I'm not talking about people out in the world who claim, who do not claim Christianity, who do not claim to be Christians. I'm talking about the ones who have made a profession of faith, right? I mean, in a sense, I mean, you being here this morning, you're saying something to the rest of the world that's watching, right? They've seen you got up and go to church this morning when there is literally a thousand other things that you could have done, and most of them easier than getting up and coming here, or a lot of them. It's making a statement. And the world sees that, right? And, and even though you may not have actually made a profession of faith with your mouth, the world sees some sort of profession when you get up and you come. And I look at this and I think, I see so many who have made some sort of profession, but yet it's like they've got the same problem that Peter had. You might say, why do you draw that conclusion? I can't draw any other conclusion. Why else? Why else would they act the way that they did? So let's let's look at this for a minute. Let's look at Peter. Um, I'm going to say this first about Peter. It's this time, in this condition, before he's converted. Peter, we see Peter is without commitment. Let me prove it to you. If you look at John's Gospel, and you can turn there with me, or you can mark it and check me out later, however you want to do it. But the last chapter in John's Gospel, after the resurrection, okay, we see in uh, John chapter 21, in verse, I'll just read to you one verse here, okay? Uh, Verse 3 says, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Listen to that first sentence. Simon Peter saith unto them. The same Peter he says a while ago, when thou art converted. Peter says, I go a fishing. Get the right idea of what's happening here. Understand this correctly in a biblical context here. Peter is not talking about a one-time recreational event. 
He's not talking about, he is not saying, man, a lot has happened and I need some time to think about things and get my head straight and so I'm going to grab my fishing pole and go to the river or go down to the lake and just, you know, in a recreational, relaxing way, fish for a little bit and just think about some of these things. Now, it's easy to read this and get that idea, but that's not what's happening here. He's not talking about this in a recreational type of, of uh, context. He's talking, what he's talking about doing here is not pleasurable or enjoyable. This is work. He's talking about putting the crew back together, rigging the ship, and going out into the Sea of Galilee and casting nets, I mean hard work, all night long in order to catch fish, to sell, to make a living. This is not recreation. This is work. It is what it signifies to us, what it shows us, right? Jesus is going to appear to him here in a minute and, and kind of straighten him out. But what this, what this right here in this moment, what it shows us is it is a return to his old life. At the first real sign of tragedy and disappointment, He's ready to go back to fishing. He's ready to go back to his old occupation. Right? Think about it. For the last two years, at least two years, okay? For the last couple years, Peter had only been involved in the things of the Lord. He had not been doing other stuff. He had not been fishing on the side also. He had been totally concerned with and done nothing but the following of the Lord. As a matter of fact, if you go on and read this chapter here, you'll see a section here where Jesus is talking about, or not in, in, not in John 21, but back in Luke chapter 22, you'll see where Jesus talks about a spot where, you know, talking about them being provided for. They didn't have to worry about taking extra provisions and things like that. Peter, has, he's forgotten all of that. He hasn't, get this, understand this, he has not left his old fishing business. The Lord himself personally called him to be an apostle. But yet at the first sign, right, of tragedy and disappointment, right, we see he goes back to his old life, his old world. He has not left his fishing uh, business, right? Uh, we see right here he hasn't even sold his boat. He's still got his boat he's hanging on to to go back to. Now he is returning to what he did before. I'll say it this way. I think he's returning to what he did before because he never burned that bridge, metaphorically. You can think what you want about Cortez. I'm not going to say he was a good guy. But there's one thing he did that gets my admiration. In 1519... Cortez gets permission to come to Mexico to explore and to conquer and settle. When he landed in Veracruz, he's landing there to begin his conquest of the Americas. Do you know what the first order that he gave was? The first 
order that he gave upon landing, right? Um, the Americas, right? That's in Mont Veracruz. That's modern-day Mexico. It's not been settled. There's not other Europeans there. There's not cities. There's not colonies. There's not nothing there. Savages. I mean, what they would have viewed as savages, natives. And wilderness. The first order that he gives his men when they land is burn the ships. Burn the ships. Do you know what the ships represented? Their only connection to the only world that they knew. Their only way home. Their only way back. There's not a ship store down the road where they can go and buy more ships. He says, burn them. Burn the ships. You know what Cortez did? That one action, that one order forced not only his men, but himself also to either succeed in what they set out to accomplish or to die trying. That's motivation. That is commitment. Retreat was no longer an option. There was no longer the option, hey, we don't like this, or this is too hard, or this is too difficult, or I'm not sure that we can pull this off, or we can accomplish this. Let's go back to the ships and head back to the house, right? That is no longer an option. What he was looking for was real commitment. Why do people still look for a way back to the old life? Why is it? Why is it we make this profession, but then we're still looking for a path, a loophole, an avenue, a way back to the old life? Why do people still long for the world and, and the things of the world? Our churches today are full of people without commitment, right? They might have a profession of faith, but they lack the evidence of a conversion, Right? That's what's happening here. That's what Jesus is seeing in Peter. Right? A, a lack of evidence of a conversion. That's why he says, when thou be converted. Right? If you listen to me here, this might sound like the old you know, line of jokes, you might be a redneck if, but I'm really serious here when I say this. If you're sitting here right now and you desire to be somewhere else, there might be something wrong with you spiritually. We call ourselves committed. But we can't even manage to attend three services. We call ourselves committed, but yet we can't even manage to give God a time. It was all His. It's all His to begin with. What we have is only what He puts in our care, right? It puts in our uh, care to take care of for Him, to manage for Him. We're just stewards of it. He calls us to be committed. But we miss more services than what we attend. Why is there such a lack? I'll tell you what. You might think I'm on a, on a soapbox for a minute, but listen to me. It is so bad. Hear me now. I'm going to share truth with you. It is so bad that many pastors have decided to cut out services and not have services as often. 
You think that there's some reason, listen to me, there's a spin put on it, there's window dressing put on it, right? Uh, I mean, they'll say things like, well, it gives you more time to spend with your family. Baloney, you won't go spend more time with your family. You might spend more time in front of your TV or the Internet or, or doing whatever it is that you want to do, but you won't spend more time with your family. And if that was really the thing and really the reason, you want to keep your family, right? You, you want to, I mean, really, the only way, is if you're going to spend more time with your family, right, you need to spend more time with your family in service to God and worshiping God. That's where the need is. But listen to me. We put all kinds of spins and dressings on it, but the truth is... Churches cut out services because people aren't committed enough to even come out and worship the Lord. There's churches here in this town. I'm not talking far away somewhere where you expect it to be real worldly. I'm talking about here in Mountain Grove, right? Which to me almost seems like it ought to be the belt buckle of the Bible belt. I'm finding out it's not. Right here in Mountain Grove, last Sunday, there was churches that reduced their services to one service. Easter Sunday, right? You could, you could honestly say maybe, not maybe, it is the biggest day in the church calendar and we're going to cut it all back to one service so that hopefully we might have a decent turnout for that one service. Tell me, tell me that we as Christians don't like commitment to that. Why? Why is there such a lack of commitment? I'll tell you why. Because no real change has taken place. There is a profession of faith, but there is no conversion, right? Peter hadn't been converted yet here. The word converted, if you look it up, the original word in the Greek there, it literally means to turn around, right? To, to, to turn away from sin. Well, the repentance to turn away from sin, but conversion is to turn to God, right? To turn towards God. There had, Peter hadn't been converted yet. Here's my second point. Peter is without change. Why is it that Jesus talks to him this way at this point? He says, when thou art converted. Because we see Peter lacks commitment, right? When things get tough on him, he's getting ready to deny Christ. That's what's foretold here, right? Before the cock crows, right? We read another gospel. We see it before the cock crows three times, right? Peter will deny him. There's no commitment there because there's no change that has taken place. Deep down on the inside, that's why I read to you in John chapter 21, I think... That shows it, that evidence to us, right, is what's in his heart. Deep down, he was still the same old Peter. That's why at that point he says, let's go fishing. Peter returned to the old language, the old crowd, and the old life. Ever wonder why it is that a person gets saved? but yet never changes the music that they listen to? Never wonder why a person gets saved, but yet keeps the same old lifestyle? Ever wonder why a person gets saved, but yet they still enjoy their sin? It's because there was no change that took place in them. The Lord called it right. Peter may have made a profession of faith, but he wasn't converted yet. Peter had not been converted. That's why he says, when thou art converted. 
When you are truly, let me just say this, and I'll quit here in just a second. When you are truly converted, a change takes place inside of you. Right? Man, I can, listen to me. I can remember, I played around with God for a long time, for years. Uh, I, I had an aunt uh, whenever I was a teenager, and I thank God for it because it never got away from me. I didn't forget it. I remembered it. I was remembering the night that I got saved, but I had an aunt that got just, I mean, I, I don't mean, con- well, yeah, it kind of was confrontationally. Got into my face. I don't mean like mad screaming at me or anything like that. I just mean made sure that, I, that she had my full attention and I heard what she was saying. And she told me right then, if I didn't get saved, if I wasn't born again, if I didn't put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I would die one day and go to hell. That right there. We talked this morning about when is, uh, uh, you know, when is accountability or age of accountability. I don't know if I, I, maybe there was a point before that, but that's a time I can remember right there. Right there. This when it was when this guy, you know, he started thinking about things, right? That's when things started to happen. Now, it took, uh, man, probably 12, 15 years after that before I finally got saved, before I was converted. But I'm telling you, whenever I did, there was a change that took place. There absolutely, look, I can tell you the events that happened that night and what led up to it and the whole thing, but the, what I want to talk to you about for just a minute this morning is how it was afterwards. It is amazing. Look, I wasn't perfect. I still ain't perfect, right? I'm not saying that the flesh didn't rise up once in a while and sinful desires didn't rise up once in a while. I'm not saying that I wasn't faced with temptations uh, from time to time and sometimes it felt like a lot. Uh, I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying my want-tos changed. Before, there was no desire to live godly and live a biblical life, right? There was no desire for that whatsoever. Afterwards, my want-tos was changed. Afterwards, all of a sudden, things that didn't bother me before bother me now. Right there was things that I'd watched before that now I just had to change the channel or turn the TV off. I can't do it anymore. I can't watch that stuff. Right? I'm no longer, that's no longer humorous to me. I no longer laugh at that. I'm disgusted by it. Do you see what I'm saying? There was a change that took place. Not only was there a change in my want-tos that took place, I'll never forget. I got saved on a Friday night of a revival. Saturday, the job I was working at then, I had to work every other Saturday. Saturday, I get off work. So that's a day, that's a week I'm working six hours. Or not six hours, goodness sakes. My boss probably thought I only worked six hours, but six days that week. Saturday, I rush home as soon as I get off work. Barely with enough time to take a shower, change, not even eat supper. Forget supper, we'll do that later. But get home shower, change, and make it back to church again in time for revival. Right? The old flesh would have ever wanted to do that. The old flesh would have said, it's been a long week, I'm tired. You deserve to sit home in, in the recliner. But here's the thing, here's the change I want to talk about. Is I'm in the shower and I'm seeing, okay? That wasn't like me before. I'm seeing in the shower and I, you know, it's just, it's amazing how your mind works. And I go through my mind and I'm thinking, you know, first thought in my mind is, what are you so happy about, you know? And I realize that, I just, I mean, as the moment I said it, I answered myself, glory to God. I'm no longer afraid of death. 
That's what I was rejoicing about right then. I knew without a shadow of a doubt if something was to happen to me, if I was to die in that moment, that night, the next day, or whatever, I was going to spend an eternity in heaven with Christ himself, right in the very presence of God. I no longer was worried. I was no longer fearful. I was no longer doubtful about what would happen, right? All of those things was gone. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, God had changed me. Converted, changed. Peter was lacking that change. That's why he was so quick to go back to the old way. When you're truly converted, a change takes place. The, the inward experience of conversion, that's the word that we use, conversion, which literally means the turning of a sinner to God. It's often, oftentimes we refer to it as the new birth. You can read about that in John chapter 3, right? The, langu- the language that was used by Jesus in his conversation with Nicodemus was that new birth language, right? The new birth, or actually how it literally says it, to be born again. It refer- what that's referring to, what Jesus, the reason he's using that language, what he's trying to illustrate that night to Nicodemus and through that, ex- that experience to us is a change that is so radical that it can only be described as a new birth into a new life, right? A spiritual rebirth, a regeneration. And he makes it clear to Nicodemus that night when he says, verily, verily, you must be, right? He makes it clear it is universally necessary condition for entering into the kingdom of God. There is no other way. Listen to me. It is more than just turning over a new leaf. It marks the beginning of a new life in a radically renewed, changed person. And that change does not happen by your own willpower. Your own ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and change your ways. Listen to me. When the kind of change I'm talking about comes about, you leave your old habits. You will clean up your mouth, the things that come out of your mouth. And you will all of a sudden get concerned for the lost, right? You'll actually be bothered by the fact that people are dying and going to hell. That's something that will actually bother you. It will not be something that you'll make jokes about any longer and you'll say, well, me and you know my friends, we're going to have a big party down there. No, you're not. It's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth, right? It's going to be torment like uh, that's indescribable, unbelievable, something that you would not wish on your worst enemy. So let me just close by asking you this. Do you still live the same basic life you did before salvation? Are you unfruitful as a believer? Is the same music still playing? Are the same words coming out of your mouth, right, as your speech changed? Do you have a burden for the loss? Listen, I'm trying to ask you this morning... What is it that is stopping you? What is it that is stopping us from being converted? Have you asked God to change you? 
are you willing to actually surrender, right? I think that's where the line is. I think we're willing to make a profession, but we're not willing to surrender. Are you willing to surrender your entire life to the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to come because that's where that renewing comes from, His work, His power. Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit of God to do His work on you? Will you give Him complete control? Maybe I could just ask it this way. Are you ready to hand over the keys? Seriously. Are you ready? Are you willing and ready to hand over the keys to the Lord? Let Him be in control. Where's your heart this morning? Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar. I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you this morning, would you come? If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden this morning, would you come? Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity.